Amen. You guys may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, we over the last several weeks have been working, if you will, chapter by chapter through this book, and we come to our last chapter this morning. Next week, we are going to start working through the book of Esther together, and I pray that um, that both this this book and, and my prayer is, is that as, as we get into Esther as well, is that we really will marvel at Christ, and we w- really will marvel at God providentially working, particularly in the shadows of our lives and what we've called the frowning providence of God to to build us for eternity, to conform us more into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we come this morning, we left off, and I'm going to mention this again in a few minutes, but we, we left off with Ruth being counseled by Naomi and them waiting and, and Boaz rushing, going quickly uh, to, to redeem Ruth, which means to redeem Naomi, which means to redeem the line, the line of Elimelech. And, and so we're, we're coming at the crescendo, if you will, of this book. Who We don't know who wrote it, but we know the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit of God and that it's been preserved for us. And so I'm going to read chapter 4 in its entirety, and then we're going to work through the text um, together. And, uh, and then, Lord willing, be able to See all that God, all who God is for us in Christ Jesus more clearly. So, Ruth chapter 4. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So, Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Verse 4. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Verse 5. Then Boaz said, well, wait a minute, right? So the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I've bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to uh, Kilian and to Mahalan. 
Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, I brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Your witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the, wom- the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who's not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nation. Nation fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. We go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you for this story. It's a historical account, God, something that, that actually happened, Lord, something you did in the lives of these individuals that we read about that even teaches and preaches to us even a grander, more beautiful story. God, we are so grateful for it. Help us, Lord. Help us to worship in response to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the conclusion of... Uh, a, a, a very beautiful and just grace-filled story, uh, a redemptive story, a true story that, that has behind it this brutal, tumultuous background of the judges, right, that we saw in the very first chapter. This background that, that entails fear, that entails famine, that entails death, that entails judgment, the judgment of God through other nations, that entails poverty. Right? That's, that's the, 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 what's going on in the cultural background of this in, incredible story. And this morning we see that Boaz, he, he goes all the way to redeem the household, the line, the lineage of Elimelech. And, and as we'll note in a few minutes... He did this at great personal cost to himself. Now, the the only time that we're introduced to Naomi's family 
is in chapter 1, and it's there in chapter 1 that, that we see them die. And, and now here in Ruth chapter 4, they're all mentioned together here in, in, in these few verses. And, and we see Elimelech mentioned, we see Mahalan, which was Ruth's first husband mentioned, we see Killian mentioned, we, and we see them all mentioned together. And the significance of them all being mentioned together is, is because they've been redeemed by their, their kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And, and there's something here that, that, that is of significance that would be of value for us to pay attention, uh, something that the, the author of Ruth is trying to tell us, and it's this idea that a name is significant. Uh, a name is significant, uh, especially in this chapter, we, we see that. Right? You, we, even, we even see uh, a kind of a communal naming of Obed, Obed at the, the end of this chapter here, but, but you're either forgotten as it relates to your name and, and plundered by those who survive you, or you're redeemed, right? You're either forgotten and plundered or you're redeemed. There's no, there's no third option that we see here. And not only does the author of Ruth bring back the names of Elimelech's family, but he also gives us some new names through the elders in Bethlehem, right, we see Rachel and Leah, and I'm not even getting into the, the genealogy yet, but we see Rachel and Leah mentioned. Right, we see the names of Perez and Tamar, which bore, um, Perez was, was the son of, of Tamar in Judah, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. Right, again, we get the genealogy at the end of, of Ruth from the author of Ruth. Boaz would have been the great-grandfather of King David. And, and on this issue of names in this chapter, there's one glaring omission here, and, and that is the other and closest kinsman redeemer. We don't get that name in the text, right? The author of Ruth calls the one Boaz met with, quote, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken. And that's what we get. Right? He doesn't even give him a name. Right? What, what the author of Ruth did is the equivalent in our day of, of, of saying Mr. So-and-so. Right? Boaz met with Mr. You know, Mr. So-and-so. Right? So, so Boaz, he, he meets with Mr. So-and-so, a, a nameless person in our story and a nameless person in history. Right? He meets with him regarding the redemption of Elimelech's family. Now, let's pause there for a moment and let's go back to Ruth and to Naomi before we move any further. All right, chapter 3, like I mentioned already, it left off with uh, Ruth and Naomi waiting. They're waiting. Right? And, and waiting isn't passive. If you've ever waited, it's not passive. Right? It can be a very anxious thing to, to wait, right? But what we see here is, is an anticipatory sort of waiting. We see a, a, a hopeful waiting here. We see a waiting in confidence. We see waiting certain of what is coming, or rather who is coming for them, who is coming to redeem them. They're waiting. Naomi and Ruth are waiting on salvation. Right? They wait for deliverance. And, and I think here of Jeremiah, right? the, the weep, weeping prophet, as you may know him, and all of the things that he had witnessed in Jerusalem, namely the, the judgment of God over 
Jerusalem. And I read this passage to us in, in our, uh, in ch- when we looked at chapter 1 together, but it's worth considering here in light of, uh, or reconsidering here, in light of Ruth and Naomi's trajectory, especially concerning Naomi's new trajectory. Look at, at, at Lamentations with me again. Chapter 3, verses 19 to 26. But again, this is the weeping prophet. This is Jeremiah. Is it related to the judgment of God? And, and keep in mind, again, the, the historical context of, of, of Ruth with, uh, it's the day of the judges, right? Okay? Says, Jeremiah says, remember, he's, he's, in, in, he's, he's speaking this to, to the Lord, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. This is depression here that we're seeing. But, here's the turning, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Like this, is, this is what Jeremiah reminds himself of, because he knows, he knows what it, what's true of the Lord. All right, he says, the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He's saying this under the judgment of God. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Again, that's where we get the hymn, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I'll hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I read this passage again here for us because what we see in our story, we see, again, a turning, a repentance, if you will, a a trusting and an actively waiting on the Lord and waiting on the Lord's timetable. What Elimelech and Naomi should have done at the beginning, what Boaz actually did was was stay in Bethlehem, stay in the place of bread, and, 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 and wait on the deliverance from the Lord, much like Jeremiah did as he sat in Jerusalem again under the judgment of God. Right? Unlike Jeremiah and Boaz, in chapter 1 we see Elimelech and Naomi run away from God's covenant promise into the land of Moab, the way, the, the, the embracing all that came with Moab, as we've seen. But at the conclusion of chapter 3 and in the background of this chapter, chapter 4, we see Naomi and Ruth. A mother and her daughter-in-law sitting, waiting, trusting. Trusting what? Trusting God's providential hand. God's invisible providential hand. That's where we left off last week. Look look back at verse 18 of chapter 3 just quickly. She, Naomi, replied, wait my daughter. Here's her counsel. Wait, my daughter, speaking to Ruth, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. That's that's Naomi's counsel to Ruth. What a turning here. And, and, And praise God for for such a turning, such an example 
Right? Again, this is what experiencing God's covenant faithfulness, this is what it does to you. This is what it does to you. Right? This is the transformative work of the Spirit. And we see that in the lives of Naomi and Ruth here. Lord willing, we see that in our own lives. Or are seeing that in our lives better, having spent time in this book. Right? Now go back to Boaz. Because we, we see he, he's meeting with, with Mr. So-and-so at the gate. Right? And, and, the, and the gate was a place where, where legal matters, issues were discussed and decided upon. And uh, it's a place where the, the, the witnesses or the elders of the town would, would, would uh, help to ratify an agreement between people and it would become legally binding. So it was a, a place to do business in ancient Near East culture. So Boaz meets Naomi's other relative. And actually the text says that the other uh, potential redeemer was, quote, passing by the gate. Right? So Boaz is on his way there, and, and the other kinsman redeemer just happens to be passing by, just in the same way that Ruth just happened to wind up in Boaz's field. Right? Again, we, we see a, um, similarities there. That, that the, the author of Ruth is telling us that there's no this isn't happenstance. This isn't as luck would have it, right? This is, the, again, the, the guiding providential hand of God that, that Boaz, who aimed to make things right as soon as possible, would just happen to come across the person that he needs to meet with in the place where they need to meet, right? And so God's providentially guiding this, um, this whole process, right? So Boaz stops him, he gathers the elders of the city, ten of them, and they discuss the redemption of Elimelech. Now, I'm going to get into the details of this more in just a moment, but for now, what we need to see is that in their discussion, right, the nameless relative, Mr. So-and-so, says that he can't do the work of a kinsman redeemer. So Boaz, in front of the elders at the gate, eagerly says that he'll do the work of a redeemer. Then, as was the custom, the nameless redeemer tells Boaz, tells Boaz to redeem in his place, and he hands him his sandal. Why? Right? I'm not quite sure. But there, there are some historians that say that the handing of the shoe in ancient Near East culture, perhaps from one to another, was was uh, the equivalent of saying, stand in my shoes. Like, walk, walk in my shoes. This was the path I was supposed to walk. You walk it for me. And, and certainly that would fit with the, the context of what we're looking at here. But the elders are witnesses to this, and, and they pronounce a blessing over Boaz and over Ruth and, and thus over Elimelech's lineage and, and a blessing that we'll look at more in just a minute. In the next scene, right, we see what this entire... Um, beautiful historical narrative has been moving us toward. We see the wedding and the, the consummation of Boaz and Ruth, and our text says, quote, the Lord gave her, Ruth, conception, and she bore a son. Right? Ruth, who was barren for 10 years while married to Mahalan, conceives a son with Boaz. And, and that baby is Obed, right? the father of Jesse, the father of David. And, and I love how the author of Ruth labors to show us just how far this marriage redeemed. In chapter 1, we see Naomi return from Moab to Bethlehem. The text says, empty-handed. 
She had nothing in her hands. That's verse 21 of chapter 1. In chapter 2, Naomi, she's returned to God's covenant faithfulness in a returning to Bethlehem. And she was holding, by the end of chapter 2, food in her hands from Boaz's table. And not only that, but she had in her hands 30 to 50 pounds of grain that Ruth had labored for. We see that in chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. In chapter 3, we see that Boaz makes it a point not to send Ruth home empty-handed. Right? He, he wanted to make sure that he sent something home with her when she went to be with her mother-in-law again as a promise that he was going to do the work of a redeemer, that they would be redeemed. And so we see grain again that's given in, chapter, in verse 17 of chapter 3. And now, the conclusion of chapter 4, she's holding a child in her hands. Right? Naomi, who came into, who came back to Bethlehem, the text said empty-handed, she now holds a baby in her hands, a baby boy in her hands. All right, verse 16 there, and, and that baby boy will take care of her in her old age. That baby boy will keep Elimelech's line, his lineage, from being nameless. Right? Naomi went from Mara, right, which means bitterness, to redeemed. And the neighbor women worshipfully say, I, lo- I, love, I love the worship here. I love the, how the community there gets in on what the Lord's doing here. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Incredible. Incredible just how far redemption got to here. I want to shift here, right? and, and this is going to get us into our text even more, and, and I want to work through some significant details that I think it's best we not miss. And like last week, we are by God's grace going to see this this overarching plan of redemption that God has for his people. We're going to see that in this historical narrative. And so this is just going to follow the outline of your takeaways, which are in your worship, God. And the first thing is this. Redemption comes at a great cost. Redemption comes at a great cost. If we, <clears throat> if we go back to verse 4 in our story, we see Boaz and, and Mr. So-and-so, again, if you will, they, they speak of redeeming Elimelech's lineage, his line, verse 4 here. I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And Mr. So-and-so says, I will redeem it. Then Boaz says, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you'll also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate, and this is key, perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. 
take my right of redemption yourself or I can't redeem it. All right, what's going on in here in, in this passage of Scripture? Right? We, we see that this nameless man was concerned with preserving his name, right? What seemed like a good business deal to acquire the land, right, in Naomi only, right? He could take care of her. It's, it definitely seems initially the way Boaz first sets it up. It's, it's almost as if Boaz kind of knows what's going to happen, right? He says, there's, there's a widow, this widow has some land that belonged to her husband, right? And this kinsman redeemer is perhaps saying, land, right? Like I can expand my business or my fortune or, you know, it, 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 it makes sense. And so that's the, behind, what, the, behind the initial, perhaps what's behind the initial agreement of redeeming. But then when Boaz mentioned that there's more, He sees his responsibilities, this nameless kinsman redeemer, sees his responsibilities toward Ruth and that he would have to marry her, right? that that would be a part of it, and then you know, give Elimelech an heir. Now, that was too much. Right? The cost was too great. Right? It meant that he would have to give up, in a sense, his own inheritance. He had to give up his own inheritance. He would give up his inheritance for the line or the lineage of Elimelech. Right? It was to lay down his own name and to pick up the name. In the laying down of his own name, he was going to pick up the name of Elimelech. Right? This, is what, this is why the nameless man says, I can't redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. I can't redeem it. Right? In, in trying to preserve his own name, Mr. So-and-so actually lost his name. He actually, actually lost his name. In contrast, Boaz, he did this very thing. Right? He, he gave up his own name for the sake of redeeming. For the sake of redeeming Ruth. For the sake of redeeming Naomi. For the sake of redeeming the lineage of Elimelech. Right? In short, redemption, it came at a great cost to Boaz, and he did it joyfully. He did it eagerly. I can almost hear, right? and again, this would be me pushing this perhaps on the text a little bit, but in, in, in Boaz, maybe, maybe in his mind, when he gives the land and, he, and he, he mentions the land to Mr. So-and-so and he mentions Naomi, Maybe, maybe he wasn't waiting for the guy to say, yeah, I'll redeem it and, and we'll wait. I didn't finish my sentence. Maybe it wasn't that. Maybe it's like, man, if you think that's good, wait till you hear about Ruth the Moabite and, and, and your duty toward her. He was eager. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. Redemption that came at a great cost to Christ, who laid down everything, 
He left glory. He took on humanity. Right? He, he added humanity to his deity. Right? Theologians would call this the humiliation of Christ. That, God, that Christ who is glorious and holy would stoop down to us to redeem us at great cost to himself, to lay down everything. For spiritual Moabites. The author of Hebrews says it was for the joy that, he, that, that Christ did this in joy. He wasn't apprehensive about doing it. That's not what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying to the Lord. It wasn't reservations about coming for us and dying for us. Jesus gave up everything so that we could be redeemed. We should see that here. Or we should see that here. Or, 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 or that should come to our mind when we see what Boaz is getting at, what Boaz ends up doing. Secondly, Jesus is truly the friend of sinners. He's truly the friend of sinners. Go back for, for a moment to the blessing of the elders. After Boaz agrees to marrying Ruth, they say, we're witnesses. The elders are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. If you know anything about the story of how Perez was born. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty, right? If Boaz and Ruth are considered, according to the book of Ruth, as worthy, right? Judah and Tamar would be the opposite of that in character, okay? Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, okay? And like Ruth, Tamar was someone that was outside of God's covenant promise, outside of God's covenant faithfulness. She was a Canaanite, And she married into the family, right? Much like Ruth. And then she lost her husband, and she didn't have any children. So there's there's some parallels there. The elders that pronounce this blessing on Boaz and Elimelech's line, they would know of this, obviously. But that's not all the similarities in the story. Both Tamar and Ruth, they dress up. They dress up. Ruth dressed up forthrightly as a bride, as a proposal to Boaz, and Boaz treats her with dignity and respect. He treats her very fatherly. And as we've just read, the two become husband and wife, one flesh, and she gets pregnant. The Lord gives her a conception. Tamar, she dressed deceptively. She pretended to be a prostitute. And Judah, her father-in-law, took her as one, and he took advantage of her, and she became pregnant with Perez. I mean, despite the differences here, God uses both. One commentator says the end result of both unions, legitimate and illegitimate, was children who in the providence of God had an important part to play in God's plan. And he asked the question, the commentator asked the question, why does God do things this way? It's a good question. It's a legitimate question. 
And the answer to that question is found in our very takeaway, is that Jesus truly is the friend of sinners. And and the scripture goes to great lengths to remind us of this. Think more about the lineage of Jesus for a moment. We end Ruth with the genealogy of David, but flip over for a moment to the book of Matthew where the genealogy picks up and just look specifically at verse 2, and we'll go down to verse 16. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nation, and, and Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Stop there for just a moment so that I can catch my breath. Yeah. Oh, Boaz, his mother was Rahab the prostitute. Who, who was grafted into Israel when she was rescued out of Jericho. Right? And, and we, see her, we see her now mentioned in this genealogy here in Matthew's gospel. Right? Boaz had in his heritage Salmon, his father, who redeemed someone outside of God's covenant. Right? Rahab, she forsook the gods and customs of Jericho, she, and she expressed fidelity to Yahweh. So this gets us to the question is marrying a Moabite lawful, right? Is it lawful for Boaz to marry Ruth? And the answer to that question is yes. Right? We even see it historically happening. The laws against marrying outside of Israel, they were about guarding from idolatry. They were about guarding against the very thing that Elimelech's line did initially, which was integrate and live as Moabites, and it was never about nationality, it was about, about fidelity to the Lord. Rahab expressed faithfulness to Yahweh, and so did Ruth, as we've seen, thereby, thereby being grafted in as an Israelite. Right? This is a legitimate marriage before the eyes of God. Now let's keep, keep going. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David, the king. And that's where the genealogy in Ruth ends. And we keep going in second part of verse 6 here. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. We know that story. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of uh, and, uh, or Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, We know that story. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of uh, Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, uh, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. And Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father father of Iliad, and Iliad the father of Eleazar, 
Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. That's a section of Scripture we often gloss over, right? That we often move past, especially when there's names that a Georgian can't pronounce listed in it. But I took the time to read this, right, to to show us that this genealogy really is preaching something significant to us. It's a genealogy that matters. It's a genealogy that has very practical ramifications for you and for me. It's full of deeply messed up people. It's full of disturbing people who did very disturbing things. The Old Testament, right? the New Testament as well, but the Old Testament especially, if you're familiar with it, is full of God's people doing some awful, awful things. And we see the genealogy of Jesus' adulterers and murderers, and liars, and manipulators, and thieves, and idolaters, and prostitutes, and everything in between, and again, the gospel writers don't shield us from Jesus in his lineage, in his humanity, being connected to it. They share it extensively. And and this isn't just characteristic of Jesus' lineage. This is characteristic of his ministry. It's characteristic of his ministry. Jesus says uh, that he was accused of associating with sinners in his very ministry. Matthew 11, 19, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him. These are the accusations, the religious people, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, he didn't distance himself from our junk. And praise God that he didn't distance himself from our junk and his humanity because none of us would be saved. None of us would be reconciled. He didn't shy away from our mess. He didn't shy away from our sins. He drew near to us, and in his drawing near to us, and this is important, in Christ's drawing near to us, he changes us. We don't remain the same, right? There's no license to remain the same. An encounter with Christ, it changes us. It doesn't change him, it changes us. But he drew near to us, drew near to spiritual Moabites, drew near to the Rahabs, and caused us to forsake our sin, to forsake our idols, and by His grace express repentance and express faith. And if Jesus Christ, if He wasn't a friend of sinners, none of us would have any hope, any chance of being redeemed. But He draws near to us, right? And the evidence of Him drawing near to us is certainly His earthly ministry, His incarnation, The evidence that He's still near us is the Spirit of God living in us. Jesus is a friend of sinners, which means He's my friend. It means He's your friend. And third, God's providentially orchestrating all things for His glory and our good. It's the final thing we see here, right? We we began this story, quote, in the day the judges governed, Ruth 1.1. 
right, which was a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, Judges 21, 25. The author of Ruth ends the story here by mentioning how Boaz's lineage, which again is Elimelech's lineage, brings about the good king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, who we know is King David, right? And, and this is before the people of Israel even asked for a king. It's before that, that, that even happens. God was setting up a king for Israel before they even asked for one. And we, we may not know what God is doing in the shadows of our lives. We may not do, know what God's doing in, in the shadow of, of a frowning providence, but we can rest assured that what he's doing is good. What he's doing is beautiful. And we can know that because he's good. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's unchanging. Right? What, what God's doing is, is redemptive right? because he is redemptive. That's his very nature, and, and he's weaving for us a story, a better story, a, 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 a more potent story than, than every drop of suffering in our lives combined. Our God is weaving together the story of how light overcomes darkness. We end with this, just a quote that I think summarizes. I, I tweaked this quote, and I'll mention where I tweaked it so that you don't accuse the author of, the, of, of my own words. But, the, um, but I, I think that this summarizes the book of Ruth well, especially the conclusion. The, the commentator says, with a wave of his hand, speaking of the narrator of Ruth, with a wave of his hand, the narrator of Ruth reveals to us at the very end of the story It has not just been about God providing a solution for the needs of certain individuals. No, in the process, God is also paving the way for the king that his people need. And and I would add, in the Savior, his people need. We think further down the line in the lineage here. So this isn't just a story of God's covenant faithfulness, faithfulness to Naomi and Ruth. It's about God's covenant faithfulness to Israel. And again, I would add also to his elect in Christ Jesus, God's covenant faithfulness. And so we see that redemption comes at great cost. We praise God that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we see as well that God's providentially orchestrating all things for his glory and our good. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you again for time in your word. God, we thank you. that you have redeemed us, Lord. God, that you hold us in your hand. God, that nothing in our lives happens outside of your control, your providence. And Lord, help us to remember that you're good and that our glory really is wrapped up or that our good is really wrapped up in your glory. And God, send us into deeper worship, to, more, to greater intimacy with you according to your word, by your spirit. And we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is the portion of our service where we come to the table. We
weekly come to the Lord's table, and, and we don't require membership for you to come to the table. What we ask is that you are a Christian that is actively confessing sin, that is repenting of your particular sins, and that is resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness.